While he was working as a cobbler in England, William Carey was moved by the great spiritual needs of other parts of the world. He placed a world map in front of his workbench, and as he worked, he thought, prayed, and wept about what needed to be done and how the Lord could use him to meet those needs. When he he finally arrived in India, his first mission assignment, he was ready to begin work. He not only was used directly to make outstanding contributions through teaching, preaching, translation, and printing of Christian literature, but helped prepare the way for every missionary who has served there since. Why? Well, we know this about him. He prayed, he planned, and he prepared. He prayed, planned, and prepared. He was ready He was ready when the opportunity came. Why did he go to such great lengths in prayer, planning, and preparation? I think he was gripped by the the closeness, the nearness of eternity. You and I know how near it is, how, how really much closer to eternity we are than we often think of. I asked it last week, I'll ask it again. What would someone say is the focus of your life? Why would they draw that conclusion? What would you hope them to say about you when it's all over? More importantly, let me ask this. What's God going to say when you stand before him? Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. As I mentioned last week, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians is that great landing of the plane. It's all coming down now. Uh, We were at at peak height uh, in chapter 15. Now everything becomes practical at the closing of the letter. 1 Corinthians was a letter of of instruction and correspondence, response from the Apostle Paul back to the church there there in the great metropolitan city of Corinth. Uh, Had a lot of correction, answered a lot of their questions, and He's moving there in chapter 16 now to something else. He's answering one last final interaction here about the giving and and the work of the the kingdom going forward. And I want to spend some extra time uh, in in chapter 16 absorbing some important observations here uh, for our good. We might learn about the kingdom, learn about what it means to walk in faithfulness, Staying fixed on heaven. And so God's word is always sufficient and helpful to us in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 12 now. Hear now God's word. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him, 
Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now. but He will go when he has the opportunity. This is God's word. Paul continues to call the church to labor in light of the resurrection to come. That's how chapter 15 ended. And so in verses 5 through 7, he invites support. You see that? And then verses 8 through 9, he tells about his opportunities. And then verses 10 through 12, he gives instructions of welcome to co-laborers in the ministry. The central point is the same as it was last week. Jesus is coming again. Therefore, the church labors together for the gospel. Jesus is coming again. Therefore, the church labors together for the gospel. Last week, we thought about the first exhortation, give. It was part one, verses one through four. Part two this week, cooperate. Cooperate. We cooperate in the gospel mission. We cooperate in the gospel mission. Let's move through the sermon then. In verses five through 12, Paul teaches us directly and indirectly about cooperation. And it includes these three, if you can think it through how I'm going to break down the sermon this morning, these three big uh, titles here. Cooperation includes support, opportunities, and welcoming. Support, opportunities, and welcoming. May the Lord encourage us to look beyond our own church and see the work of the kingdom at large. To be thoughtful and eager to see the gospel go everywhere. May God give us the grace to make the most of the opportunities he gives us and calls us always to be welcoming and helpful partners in the ministry. Let's go to the first subpoint then. Support. Missionaries need support. Let's consider the forethought, the partnership and providence all indicated here. We're going to think about the, the forethought, partnership, and providence. Forethought. See how God's kingdom requires forethought. Verse 5. Look at verse 5. Look at the travel plans he's talking about here. Corinth was only south uh, of Macedonia, and Paul's travel route from his present location in Ephesus would entail likely coming across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia and south through Achaia to Corinth. So you can just think through the, the plan here. And you can't help but see the exhausting work of missionary travels here. I mean, some of you know the experience of long flights. Many of you have done uh, extended travel across the world. You know how exhausting that is. But you and I live in a different age, don't we, than what the Apostle Paul would have lived through and how difficult it would have been to travel. I doubt uh, it would have been something if, you know, Paul, did you travel first class? What? I, I, don't, I don't, there was no, no, comp, no, no, no place for that. Um, Paul was haunted by distant regions. Uh, that The apostle never saw a, a, a ship at anchor, but uh, he wished to, to board it to carry the good news to the people across the water. And he, he never saw a mountain range, but he, he, he wanted to cross it to build up the saints. He, he was burdened to get these places and take the gospel to, to these regions. He was, a, he was a mighty tool in the hands of the Lord 
and God sustained him on incredible missionary journeys. Uh, many of your Bibles, if you open to the back to the maps, you'll see it laid out for you, uh, his journeys. Uh, it's amazing to see all the work that he did and all the traveling he did through difficult circumstances to take the gospel to these places. And there's wisdom to learn from Paul, and it's this. He was always planning on how to share the gospel. He was always planning. He took forethought. He mapped out where he was going. Uh, you and I are not apostles, and not all of us in here are missionaries. Well, we'll be foreign missionaries. But there's wisdom in learning about godly character that takes time to plan, to think through strategy for the gospel. Paul planned and prepared wherever he was for the next thing. You know, seasons and logistics change, don't they? We've certainly had to continue to change things here in our own gathering. This year, pastors all over the world were not ready for such restrictions. It's been one of the most stressful years I have ever known. The elders and all of us, for that matter, should still pray and plan for mission strategy. Just even our last elders meetings, trying to think ahead and be thoughtful and prepared to be faithful. Paul is like a, is like a general poring over a map to determine where the next battle should be fought constantly surveyed the lands about him to see where to begin his next effort for the Lord. So let me ask you some questions. What are the territories you need to pour over in prayer right now? Think of your map of where you live, where you're going, who you're encountering. Are you pouring over it in prayer? Are you just hoping somebody else in the church will pick it up? Maybe somebody else will the Lord will move near them to tell them about Jesus Christ. Have you asked God for opportunities and ways to get through obstacles to get the gospel to people? Have you looked at your calendar, your agenda, and focused lately? Where does evangelism fit in for us? Are you seeing how coronavirus has made so many retreat to their comforts, so much so that they not only neglect the church, but missions as well. Don't we need to prepare to obey the Great Commission no matter the circumstances? Don't we need to prepare for the Great Commission more to obey the call to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, more so than preparing for comforts on earth? We do that well. We prepare for comforts on earth. I want us to be challenged, to be thinking ahead like Paul how we can bring the greatest comfort anyone could ever know, and that's salvation in Christ Jesus. That's the comfort above all comforts. That's the one that matters most. It's not temporal suffering that's our main objective. It's eternal suffering we're concerned about. Fourth all. Notice also here, partnership. We see how, see how kingdom work invites partnership. Verses 6 and 7, at least the first half of 7 there. It is interesting to see how Paul desires to spend some time with the Corinthians in, that, in those verses. You see that? He's, he's eager to spend time. He doesn't want to, you see what he says? He doesn't, he doesn't want to just make a passing visit. Some of you have got family coming over for Thanksgiving. You're hoping, boy, I hope they just pass through. <laughs> you're hoping that, I hope they don't stay around a long time. You know? uh, uh, Paul was not treating it like that. He wasn't like, let's get through the holidays. You know, it wasn't like that. It was, I hope to spend significant time with you. 
He desires closeness. Sometimes you can desire closeness, but others do not, right? Sometimes, like people like us, sometimes people have wanted that from us, and we did not. And we know from 2 Corinthians that many there did not want Paul, and this, but instead wanted to reject the word of God. And 2 Corinthians is just painful. Because you see his heart to draw close to them and be united in the things of the gospel just bleed out here. And then you read 2 Corinthians and realize how many did not desire that, sadly. But here's something to glean from Paul. He's willing to sit through awkward times out of love for them. He desires to make them feel a part of the work. You know, uh, and, and, and just in, 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 in comical uh, speech, you know, you know, down south we might say, these dummies don't even appreciate who they got with, him, with them, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, meaning they had an opportunity. Can you imagine if we had an opportunity to partner with the Apostle Paul? Oh, my goodness. Like this is, this is the guy who's written so much of the New Testament. This is the guy who's experienced so many wonderful, incredible things, whose preaching has been empowered in ways uh, heaven will only reveal. And they did not want to partner with him. Like, you and I should be astonished by that. What in the world? And yet, we shouldn't be astonished if you know the hardening effects of sin. He desires to make them feel a part of the work. And, but sadly, often people don't care. But we should do our part to include. And that's what we see with Paul here. It can be incredibly painful to want people to be a part of the work. And yet they don't want to. But we keep serving. We keep going. We fix our eyes on Jesus, not on people. And that's what Paul did. Look at the opportunity he lays before them. I mean, what an honor there in verse 6. Paul communicates he needs their help so they can, he says, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. He didn't command it. Remember, he already didn't demand pay, which was rightfully his from chapter 8. The verb here, help, is regularly used for supporting and helping those engaged in mission. It's used again in verse 11. And he references Timothy. It means to endorse Paul's intended trip and encouraging him perhaps through fresh supplies and equipment. By doing this, participating in such a way, you know what, you know what they have an opportunity there? To share. To share in the ministry. To share in the apostles' ministry, what a, what a privilege to participate. You see ministry that way? You see it as a privilege to share in the work? Some folks can go and some folks get to send others to go, but in coming together, partnership in the work is formed. You know, some in Corinth, like we, like we do, struggle with partnership because they, you know, would, they perhaps weren't lauded in the process. You know, Corinth, they were very arrogant. Many of the church were quite arrogant, astoundingly, like off the charts, like high levels of arrogance. <laughs> and some people don't want to partner if, if they're not going to be front and center, if they're not featured on the web page, if the social media account doesn't show them as the central focus, whatever it may look like. Some don't want to participate unless they're front and center. And many in Corinth needed to be called upon to participate because some would prefer hearing, what a great guy or gal from the crowd rather than well done, good and faithful servant. Are you content to serve 
only for the king's pleasure? Are you and I happy to give and contribute and work in obscurity, knowing, only, knowing that Jesus is watching us? How do you see yourself as helpful right now to the work here at the church? Are you, are you diligent to pray for the work here? You know, have you met me and the elders? We are needy, desperate servants. We don't have power. We need the grace of the Holy Spirit. We're sinners too. Have you prayed for your fellow church members? Do you know yourself? Do you know what it's part to be part of a, a local church? We need prayer. Every one of us. Do you pray for the work here? You'll hear many members in this church say, I need to share the gospel with my mom or my dad. I need to share the gospel with my brother or my sister. I need, the gospel to sh- I need help to share the gospel with my coworkers. Uh, please pray for me. Are you faithful and systematic, generous, and proportionate with your giving? Are you looking for ways to contribute to the church so that burdens might be made lighter? I heard this saying, I read this little saying this week, don't despise the little things. A lantern, a lantern can do what the sun can never do, shine at night. Those little assignments we have, they, they matter. They matter, and we need help. Have you read the Bible and its emphasis upon supporting the work of the kingdom? Read the New Testament, read the letters, read Acts, look at the partnerships and helpfulness that's commended. Some years ago, a New York newspaperman, many of you will know this name, Jacob Rees, wrote a moving and condemning series of articles depicting deplorable conditions in the tenant sections of New York City. Some of you know, that, know this story. Eventually, he wrote his famous book, How the Other Half Lives. Just surveying the room, anybody read that book in here, How the Other Half Lives? Very important book in American history, especially New York City. Well, Theodore Roosevelt, among the first to read the new volume, was impressed, went to the office of the author for a conference. And Reese was not in, but upon, whereupon Roosevelt left his personal calling card on which he wrote, quote, have read your book and have come to help. Do you see that in the Bible that being helpful is, that, is what we by grace should be? Have you read the book and have you come to help? Is that your disposition to be helpful? Notice also providence here. See how God's sovereign providence must always be kept in view. In the verse 7, you see that, that tail end of verse 7. Paul's plan for future travel was very tentative. Just in general, look, if you look at the overall statements here, Going into the end of verse 7, see as caveats, it may be suitable, it may be, wherever I go, but I trust. Of course, the entire plan was dependent on God's providential leading, he says, if the Lord wills. You see Paul's concerns here that his own plans and thinking do not become presumptuous and inflexible, usurping the Lord's prerogative to change them as he saw fit. Isn't that something? I got plans, I'm prepared, I prayed, I'm taking action, but there's this, this is other important thing, God, if the Lord wills. 
Our plans must always be subject to the Lord's revision. <laughs> Daniel 4.35 shows how his rule is not up for question. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? future does not always come together as we think it will. Many of our plans have been changed this year, haven't they? Matthew Henry notes here, it is by God's power and permission and under his direction that we must do everything. Heathens have concurred in acknowledging this concern of providence in all, of our, in all our actions and concerns. Surely we should readily own it and frequently and seriously attend to it, end quote. Our original understanding of God's will for us may not have been entirely right or complete, or his plans for us may change. I can, I can look back at several things. I had this, this is what I was going to do. That's not what happened. How about you? In any case, we should always qualify our intentions, as James says in James 4.15, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. You know, Jesus had no quarrel with this sense of submitting and living in the hand of the providence of the Father. If anything, he intensified the idea with the words that he said in Matthew 10.29, are, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? Beloved, be sure to understand the difference between God's declared will and his undisclosed will because the Bible reveals both. For example, his commands uh, or revealed will for us in the Bible are clear, like that of the Great Commission. Go into the world and make disciples to preach the gospel. Be holy. And so on. Love one. You can just go through his commands. But his plan and purposes and providence are not spelled out this side of glory. That's why Paul said, if the Lord wills. Paul, Paul was always in awe of God. And so should we. We should be that way too, in awe of God. Michael Horton said, God's providence governs history. So that his purposes are realized gradually in the world, yet without subverting the free agency of creatures, end quote. The relationship between divine and human freedom is a deep mystery, indeed a, a paradox. It's never resolved in Scripture, but simply affirmed. Many in the strength uh, what is, of what is called human reason are right to properly reject contradiction. But, but fallen human rationalism abhors the mysteries of God. Don't fight the mysteries of God. Submit to them. Yield to them. Know that he's above us in every way. Every heresy in church history attempted in its own way to resolve divine mysteries. You understand that? From the triune God, the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the inspired word of God, the mystery of the corporate guilt in Adam, the mystery of the resurrection. Human mind wants to rationalize that and take away divine mystery. Leave it be. Let it unsettle you. God is above us. The great evangelist, who, by the way, was not a five-point Calvinist, Billy Graham, humbly admitted, it's been my privilege to see thousands converted to Christ 
And I still not, do not understand the mystery of God's grace and man's faith, but I know that both are involved. The inability to comprehend fully the mysteries of God does not in any way curtail the Christian faith. On the contrary, it, it enhances our belief. We do not understand the intricate pattern of the stars and their courses, but we know that he who created them does, and that just as surely as he guides them, he is charting a safe course for us in Christ, end quote. God is sovereign, if the Lord wills. So I want to exhort, obey him, prepare, plan, pray, if the Lord wills. Let us be encouraged to make plans, to strive to be diligent and aggressive to his revealed will. This shouldn't be any mystery to us what his will for us as obedience is. To live holy, to be filled with the Spirit, to share the gospel, to love his church, to take the gospel to the lost. On and on. There's no mystery there. Young people. What's God's will for my life? Obey. Obey his word. But let us submit to the fact that God's sovereign grace must also be considered. God is pleased with such faith, such trust in him because it's full of trust and obedience and he is glorified when we trust him and obey. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Paul knew he could not and would not fully understand all God's plans, but he sought to obey him and leave the results to God. All right, second subpoint today. Opportunities. Opportunities must be seized. Opportunities must be seized. Verses 8 and 9. Look with me. Verse 8, Paul says, until Pentecost, he references the Jewish calendar. It's the 50th day after Passover. He was speaking of that of seasons because he wanted to, to finish his missionary work in Ephesus by mid-June. Weather was, in, was an important factor for him too, right? Uh, in Florida, the only weather we had to be concerned about really was hurricane season. And it was serious, and it's gotten more serious, it seems to be. Um, uh, but this kind of preparation and travel, as we mentioned earlier, would have been thinking through weather for a traveling missionary like Paul. Would have been, there would have been challenges he faced that we don't have to face because of the modern common grace that we have in traveling. And so he's thinking, he's letting them know, like, I need to be here by this time. It'd be so helpful. And then I can winter there with you, and that would be good. He explains his... He intends to stay for a longer while in Ephesus. On the one hand, he mentions a great door for effective work. That's a, a better translation. An open door for effective work. And then on the other side, he says, on the other hand, he says, there are many there who oppose me. So in, in a sense, the two sentences describe Paul's lifelong labors as a Christian missionary. You get the open door and you get the opposition. <laughs> They go, they go together. We have opportunities. We have opposition. Don't miss the fact that the Lord had opened it. Paul didn't open the door. Look who's at work. The Lord has to open these doors. The Lord's providence was keeping it open. But what should stick out to here is how sensitive Paul is to the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I'm, some of you got a little nervous. You thought, oh boy, where's Pastor Garrett going here talking about the Holy Spirit? He is a person. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the leading and conviction of the Spirit that never goes contrary to the Scriptures, by the way, and does not give us new revelation that uh, goes uh, 
that's on the same par with the scriptures. He prompts us. He leads us. He convicts us. So I'm asking you, are you walking in the spirit? Meaning, are you yielded to the lordship of Christ? Are you walking in the spirit? Filled. You know, it's a command to be filled. To not be filled with the spirit means we're disobeying the Lord. Sometimes we think being filled with the spirit, that's for super spiritual, obedient Christians. That's for like the elders. They need to be filled with the spirit. I, that's not for me. Wrong. We all are called to obey that, to be filled with the Spirit. That means we have to push ourselves out and pull and plead for more of God's leading in our lives. Reading His Word and praying. Are you yielding to His leading in your life as you wake up and start the day He gave you? Have you surrendered to Christ even this day? Do you see the day as, quote, my day? I'm starting my day. We need to take that off there. This is the day the Lord has made, right? Church, don't we need to spend so much more time with him that we become so clo- that we become close? One man said, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. That happens through prolonged prayer. Thinking about opportunities reminds us that Paul was, a, was careful in his use of time. That's why he exhorted us. In light of time, he was he was careful in the use of his time and the use of his money. Someone has has said that killing time is the chief occupation of modern society, but no Christian can afford to kill time or waste opportunities. End quote. I've said this many times. I say it to my kids often. And I. Uh, I listen to a number of faithful preachers. I don't agree with everything they say and have written, okay? You can pull a lot from all faith, a lot of guys who, the, the, the goal is to agree in the gospel. You know, Michael Horton and Billy Graham are going to be indifferent on, on a number of things, right? C.S. Lewis, you can go down the line. But I appreciate encouragers that keep me fixed on Christ in heaven, that keep me fixed on holiness, to trust the Lord. And something I've gleaned from Mr. Graham was he always said, something I've tried to spend my life Teaching young people what they, they don't get because I didn't get it. Just how short life is. How brief our time is. It's my prayer as a pastor, along with the other pastors and elders here, that you and I would be gripped by how short our time is. And to make the most of the opportunities. There's parents and grandparents in this room. Make the most of those times with your children to tell them about Christ. Children, young people, look at me. The best use of your parents' and grandparents' time with you is for them to pour over you the things of God. Everything else is going to vanish and perish. It will be nothing when you stand before the Lord. Praise God for that when they spend that time with you, talking to you about heaven and hell, talking to you about the preciousness of our Savior. Make the most of the time and opportunities the stewardship of opportunities is important. I'm so convicted when I study the Apostle Paul. How about you? I'm so convicted by how he spent his life for the gospel. The, the individual believer, you and me, and the church family must constantly ask, what opportunities is God giving us today? I've got an opportunity to serve my wife today. I've got an opportunity to 
encourage my children in the Lord today. I might not have tomorrow. I've got an opportunity to live out the gospel in front of my neighbors. I've got an opportunity to tell my parents I love them and encourage them in the the Lord. What are your opportunities? Are you making the most of them? Instead of complaining about the obstacles, we must take advantage of the opportunities and leave the results with the sovereign Lord. I confess with heartbrokenness today how I've dwelled on the obstacles this year. I'm so ashamed of that rather than the opportunities. I need to repent of this. And I wouldn't be surprised if some in the room today need to repent of this too. The phrase, the open door in the New Testament, refers to the opportunity to preach the gospel and witness for Christ. You know, there's something that we'll, in heaven we'll never get to do again. You know what it is. To share Christ again. Those opportunities are coming to an end. We'll get to rejoice around the throne and enjoy Him forever. But the time, the window and door for sharing the gospel is closing, friends. It's closing. Note the phrase, if the Lord's will, by the way, is seen in the context of opposition mentioned here. Why does God allow opposition? Sometimes he allows evil to run its course or much of its course to expose its degradation. Some of you perhaps have been involved in in just dark sins this week. You've engaged in things you know are destroying you. It's enslaving you. It's become addictive for you and you feel so defiled you've given up hope and the Lord is trying to draw you and awaken you to sober up, to leave it behind and come to Christ. Sometimes he allows it to help you see how low it will take you. Sometimes he's showing forbearance and patience, leaving you much time to repent. Sometimes we have to know He may have his own reasons largely hidden as he does there in the book of Job. But God, he's always God. And his sovereignty is never curtailed. Matthew Henry noted, The devil opposes those most and makes the most trouble who most heartily and successfully set themselves to destroy his kingdom. You can expect opposition. You know what God wants us to do with that? And the opposition comes along from the dark one. He wants us to go forward with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and say, bring it on. Let's do this. I've got the gospel. I've got the good news. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. His kingdom's coming. Stay fixed on Christ. So will your life reveal that you are in alignment with God in Christ or against him. Are you part of the opposition to the kingdom of God today? If you're not trusted in Christ, you are living in sin and rebellion against God and you are headed for destruction. You will not win that battle. You are set to lose if you don't know Christ. You have been weighed and measured and been found wanting in comparison with God Almighty. The bad news from God's word for our good is to hear this. We were all born at enmity with God, enemies. We are all natural haters of God and his authority. We are all consumed with ourselves naturally. That's why we focus on ourselves so much. That's our natural disposition to think of me. 
we are all quite confident that our abilities, this is what's amazing about us, amazingly sad, we're so confident in our abilities to see and discern and that therefore they, that our discernment is so trustworthy, our view of the world is so accurate, that is so true, that what, what I can discern with my own faculties, never taking into account how limited we are, how fallen we are, how ignorant we are. Oh, friends, that's amazing how we as human beings can have, well, I discern this. We need so much help. And we all avoid the great fact that we avoid God. That's what we avoid. We don't want to confess our sin. We want to confess our goodness. We want to confess our good deeds. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Surely the Lord would not, you know, exile me from his presence forever. I haven't been as bad as so-and-so. Such. And you have made a critical error. You thought God was like you. You thought he was fallen and limited like you and unholy. He is God. The Bible says we are none righteous. Not one of us is in, in, in his sight. We have all sinned and the wages of sin because God's good and just is death. What is our hope? Well, not in ourselves, that's for sure. I mean, the last thing we need to entertain today is self-help as it pertains to God. I need to help myself to God. I need to help myself be more uh, receptible. You know, I need to cooperate somehow and, and, and show him my good deeds and, and show him that I'm, I'm, I'm a worthy recipient. I need to prove to him I don't need him. That's a, that's a terrible way to go. The fact of the matter is the Bible in no uncertain terms tells us we need a savior, a substitute, a sacrifice. We need righteousness from God and of God. We need righteousness, stay with me, from God and of God himself. That's how sinners like us could ever stand in his presence. We need to take sides against our sin. That's what repentance is. To stop being part of the opposition and start going with the kingdom to choose Christ. And here's the opportunity we should not miss. God in his kindness sent his one and only son. God himself came in the flesh. He be truly God and truly man. Explain that mystery. But the Bible says he was fully man and fully God. Truly God, truly man. And that way he, has, he assumed everything about us as in the sense of being a person to redeem all of us. Okay? And him being God, he was the only one who could endure the wrath of God on our behalf. And so he came as the God-man, lived the righteous life we all should have lived, and then went to the cross as the God-man to endure the wrath of God on our behalf, on behalf of any and all who repent and believe. Only Jesus can save you from God's wrath because he endured it. Therefore, any and all who repent and believe. I'm pleading with you. You will be judged for what you hear today if you don't know Christ. Don't die in your sins. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. Come to Christ. Put your trust in him. Put your trust not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone, who was raised from the dead. God raised him because he's pleased with the sacrificial payment for our sins. Only Jesus could atone for our sins. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Stop opposing the kingdom. Join forces. Join his team. Join with Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in him. If you want to talk more about that, 
I'd love to do that. I'll see you after the service. There's nothing more I'd rather do than see you turn from the hell-bound path that you're on and know heaven is your home. God loves you. Come to Christ. Beloved church, let's not lose heart. The enemy rages, but God's in control. It's like we sing about in the mighty fortresses our God. His rage we can't endure. For lo, his doom is sure. The spirit and the gifts are ours. God will give life to us, though enemies rage and blaspheme and persecute. That shouldn't discourage us. Opposition to the world should cause us to go forward in courage. Apathy and dis- disunity in the local church is what discourages, not the world's opposition. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But let's make the most of the opportunities that Jesus gives us. Commit to the good things that we promised in the church covenant by his grace. Last sub-point, welcoming. Welcoming, verses 10 through 12. Partners should be welcomed. Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to remind them of the apostles' way of life in Christ Jesus. We see that in chapter 4, 17 and 16, 10, right here. The manner of life that he taught them while in Corinth, but they had apparently forgotten. He sent discipleship aid to them. He sent, he sent what appears to be his number one guy, Timothy. Good old, faithful, reliable Timothy. We don't know why here, looking at the next verse about Apollo, why Apollos is not, is not coming, particularly that maybe he'll come later. Maybe should have given them, uh, you know, <clears throat> a note of, it's in, some commentators think it was because of their discouraging divisions and factions that Apollos is like, I'm not coming right now. Perhaps, we don't know, but it could be likely. But in regards to Timothy, look what Paul tells him to do. He gives commands. See to it, let no one disdain him, and send him on his way. Those commands are a call to submit to the apostolic teaching and discipleship. They to repent of resisting uh, Paul's teachings, and they should seek to help in kingdom work through support. It was wrong to oppose those who try to uphold the apostolic teaching. It's always been wrong to do that. For us, it is wrong to disregard our church when our own church calls us to faithfulness as agreed upon biblically. We can't lord this over the members, but you have a responsibility to be supportive if we're striving to lead you in righteousness. Our covenant has been agreed upon to give us concrete examples of faithfulness exhorted in the word. So, Again, opposition from the world doesn't discourage us, need not discourage us, near as much as when opposition is happening inside the local church. That's discouraging. That's so discouraging. Matthew Henry again said, it's not the opposition of enemies, but the hardness and obstinacy of Paul's hearers and the backslidings and revolt of professors that damp a faithful minister and break his heart, end quote. It's not the loss that discourage the work often in a church. It's the stubborn members of a church who will not respond to the simple calls of be faithful, be faithful. To be present to fellowship, to follow the noble calls of imperfect elders, to be faithful. We call you to privately seek the Lord as elders. We call you to encourage each other by trying to understand one another and help each other stay fixed on Jesus. We call you to pray corporately 
We call you to sit under the preaching of the word. You understand, these are not radical callings, right? To, like, I'm not inventing something new in, in those, as a pastor and elder to call the church to be faithful. That's not like, that's really extra stuff there. That's not at all. It's calling you to be faithful in your context where you have covenanted. It's a call to be faithful. This is not radical. It's blocking and tackling in football terms. Block and tackle well. So let me ask you, church members, are you an encouragement to the work or discouragement? What do you think Jesus would have you do today? I need to conclude. What's the focus of your life? Are you preparing? Are you seizing opportunities? Welcoming gospel work in your life? Are you ready to report to the Lord? What do you want to make sure to do before you die? His his return is, is imminent. He's coming back. And you and I certainly have a day when our life here will be over. Church, let's resolve to pray for his help. Repent of our sins and walk in faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we pray it would be our great joy and ambition every day to serve you, to love you, to make the most of our short life here on earth, to live for your kingdom and glory. Lord, for those amongst us today who are not Christian, who were under conviction of sin, Lord, cause them to cry out to Christ for forgiveness, knowing that you are a merciful God and you receive any and all who repent and trust in Christ. Heaven rejoices in the repentance of a sinner. So encourage them, Lord, all the more. Woo their hearts. Today they put their trust in you. Encourage us, Lord, to be bold, bold witnesses, making the most of the time. In Jesus' name, amen.